Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. I'm going to ask you guys to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 10. And uh, it's always a privilege to be here. How many have ever uh, heard me speak or minister here before at Mountain Park? This is like kind of like a home away from home. We just love you guys and love what God is doing in this church. We love your pastor and his wife. And uh, they're, they're such a great team. This is such a great church. Don't take it for granted. You're blessed to be here. You are. And uh, I'm going to preach the word this morning, and, uh, and I just, I'm believing that in, in just a few moments, we're going to just, you know, respond. We're going to be at this altar just calling out to the Lord, uh, you know, with salvations, healings, hunger for God. God wants to do something. And I'm believing for an unusual level of God hunger to be released in us this morning as the word is preached. You know that the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that when God's word is preached, it's not just, you know, someone's angle on, on scripture. It's, it's not just, you know, kind of a Ted talk with a spiritual theme, but when God's word is released, when God's word is preached, a supernatural activity happens that the seed of faith gets released into the house of God. And what gets released into this room is meant to be acted on. God wants to release faith and hunger for himself. Hunger looks like something. How many know hunger sounds like something, right? We used to have a, we used to have a lady on staff with us years ago, and, uh, and uh, when she would, we would be in a staff meeting, she'd be like taking notes in the staff meeting, and her stomach would growl, and you would like look around the room for a wild animal, like her, her stomach had this roar to it that was like intimidating. Hunger, hunger sounds like something. When you get hungry, it actually you know, begins to manifest in such a way that hungry, hunger will actually begin to change your behavior when you're hungry enough. When you're hungry enough, you, you know, kind of half listen and you're focused on, on, on getting some food. When you're hungry enough, it actually will move you. The, the word of the Lord says that a man's hunger works for him. His appetite drives him on. If we can get hungry for the right things, God will actually begin to do good things in our lives. And hunger for God expresses itself. Hunger for God moves us beyond concern for social convention, fitting in. Hunger for God will actually uh, not be so concerned about the decorum of predictability. I would say this to our church family, but you know, when you come to the house of God, maybe plan your day around what God's doing in his house. You know, when people are like, oh, yeah, sorry, I got a tight appointment right, you know, five minutes after the service. Okay, that's on you. But like, listen, um, long services aren't always good, but good services are always long. <laughs> and so there, there's something about just reprioritizing your life around what God is doing in his house. And hunger, I want you to get this, hunger for God moves the heart of God. And so I want you to take your Bibles. You're in, in Mark chapter 10. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, say, hold on a sec. If you didn't bring a Bible, say, whoops. None of the above. We got it on the screen. Okay. So uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 46 says, then they came to Jericho 
as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, the best way to read scripture is to immerse yourself in the narrative of it in a passage like this where the, the, the gospel writer is going out of his way by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to set a scene and tell a story. The best way to receive from that scripture is to actually put yourself in that scene and picture it. And if you can picture it and not take for granted that perhaps maybe you've heard this text before, read this before, when you can picture it and truly grasp what's going on, it moves your heart to praise, to recognize that someone who was blind, who cried out for Jesus for a healing touch, was met by Jesus and his life completely transformed. If you were to act like you'd never heard this story before, if you'd never heard the name of Jesus before, if you came with a seed of faith that dropped in you like that really happened, it would actually stir something in you to say, wow, well then what's possible for me? There's possibility that comes in the presence of the Lord. The Bible tells us that Bartimaeus is begging by the roadside and he's asking for a touch from Jesus. He's, he's begging, but then he gets kind of swept into a crowd. And this crowd, you know, at first maybe he's trying to discern what this crowd is about. He's using his sense of hearing, maybe asking some questions of what's all the commotion. And people are saying, well, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming through this way. And when he found out, the Bible says in verse 47, when he heard it was Jesus, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I have a question for you. Why would he do that? Why would he just randomly begin to shout out, about Jesus, so it would be asking Jesus to have mercy on him. Why would he begin to shout out that Jesus was the son of David, which was a messianic title. That was a prophetic declaration of Jesus being the hope of the world. Why would he do that? I'm gonna give you my best guess. And I think that my guess would be supported by reason and scripture. I think that Bartimaeus had heard of Jesus before. That's what I think. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it's inferred in the text that for some random reason, he began to shout out, Jesus, have mercy on me. I'd like to suggest to you that the reason Bartimaeus began to cry out for Jesus to have mercy on him was because he had heard of Jesus before. And what he had heard of Jesus produced in him a seed of faith that something was possible through Jesus that wasn't possible through anyone else. He had heard 
testimonies about what Jesus had done. Bartimaeus had no doubt heard the stories of miraculous interventions from Jesus. Wherever Jesus went, he was healing sick people, casting out demons. Jesus was so full of power and anointing that if, you know, there was a crowd hanging out and there wasn't enough lunch, Jesus would just like multiply, you know, a kid's meal. And everyone would just have leftovers. And so Bartimaeus started hearing these testimonies and something began to stir in him. And he began to cry out for Jesus to have faith. See, testimony is a vehicle of the prophetic gifts and the working of faith. Testimony. Beginning to share what Jesus has done. It becomes a vehicle of the prophetic gifts and the working of faith. Revelation 19 verse 10 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you begin to testify what Jesus has done, it's not just telling a story and it's not just saying, here's something cool Jesus did in my life. But when you testify about Jesus, what happens is that a prophetic anointing is released through testimony. There's actually a sense that if Jesus has done that for you, that it's possible that he might be able to do something like that for me. That's what testimony does. And so there's this sense that when the testimony has been caught in Bartimaeus's ear, it moves from his ear, from his mind into his spirit, and it produces faith in him. And he begins to ask Jesus to have mercy on him. See, we need to be those who actually testify about what Jesus has done in our lives. It's appropriate to come to a high point in worship and for your pastor to get up and begin to share what Jesus has done in this church. Why? Because it begins to release a prophetic seed of faith that there's possibilities beyond what has ever been before. Listen, we honor the past the most when we dream the biggest about the future. And so when we take time to, to rehearse testimony and share what God has done, it actually releases faith that there's more available to us than what we currently are experiencing. That's the whole idea of coming together as the body of Christ and having the prophetic gifts of the Spirit begin to stir is that, listen, when you come into this house on a Sunday morning, you should come with an anticipation that you could actually leave entirely different than how you got here even if you really like how you're doing, even if you think you're doing good, just be excited for the person next to you to change. But the fact is, unless you're nailing it, like unless, unless it's impossible to tell the difference between you and Jesus, raise your hand if that's you. Okay, just a couple hands. All right. We'll pray for you guys after. The, the fact is, how many know there's room for all of us to grow? There's room for more of the work of God's grace in our lives. There's room for more of what God wants to do to me. Not just my, my needs, not just my wants, not just my desires, but God has desires for your life and for mine that maybe hasn't even entered our heart and mind yet. But when we hear the testimony of what God has done, it begins to stir something in me like, wait a second, maybe I'm not stuck. Wait a second, maybe the way things have been is not the way it's always going to be. See, I don't know how long Bartimaeus was blind, 
But for him to have one of the cloaks that they gave in that time that identified you as a beggar, that was kind of like the first century uh, Jewish welfare system. That was how you actually got social assistance is you were given a designated cloak and that cloak let people know that they were supposed to give you a little bit of charity. There was, you know, alms for the poor, you know, and he would just beg and everybody would throw a little something in his cup and that's how he got by. The fact that he was given one of those designated cloaks, I think that we can assume, even marginally, that he would have been blind for at least a year or two, maybe longer than that. And the length of time that you go through a journey, the length of time that you struggle with something, the longer that you have a struggle in your life, it can start to become your normal. And when it starts to become your normal, it can actually begin to graft itself into your identity. That I don't just have this struggle, but this struggle has me. That I'm not just, you know, someone, who, uh, you know, who, who struggles with the ability to see, but you can actually identify me by it and say that I'm blind. It becomes my identity. It becomes how I relate to the world. The longer something goes on in a certain way, in a negative trajectory, if you can follow my meeting this morning, the longer that something's going on that is not the way it's supposed to be, the more it can actually begin to feel like this is just the way it's always going to be. And I need to just kind of settle my hopes and settle my expectations and settle my faith to just kind of adjust and just, you know, kind of just blend in and roll with it. This is my station in life. Now, there's a little bit of wisdom in that, because sometimes when you're, you know, when you're constantly you know, fighting against the way that things are, you can actually live in a complete sense of discontent and that you're always kind of upset and always bothered. But there's also a side to that that's not wisdom, but it's actually moving you over into a lack of faith where you don't even begin to ask God for anything to change because it's been so long, it's how it is, this is my lot in life. And I wanna to say to you, that is fear masquerading as faith. And Bartimaeus heard the testimony of Jesus, and when he first came into the presence of Jesus, something began to burn in his heart. It was faith. Luke chapter 24, you don't have to turn there, but just as a point of reference, Jesus was walking with some disciples on the road to a little town called Emmaus. This is after Jesus was dead and buried and then resurrected. And Jesus came and appeared to them, walked along the road with them, and they were kept from recognizing him. And so they're walking along with Jesus. And as they walk and talk along the roadway, Jesus begins to unpack scripture to them. One of the most frustrating verses in the whole Bible is in Luke 24, where the Bible says that Jesus, from, you know, from Moses until now, unpacked the entire Old Testament and preached this epic sermon. And the Bible just tells you it happened, doesn't tell you what the sermon was. It's like, I want the sermon notes. <laughs> Jesus unpacks the whole Bible like, hey, Luke, grab a pen. <laughs> and then... Jesus acted as if, Luke 24, Jesus acted as if he was going to keep on going. They get to Emmaus and Jesus is like, well, peace out, guys. I'm just going to keep on heading this way. And they stop and they ask him. They say, uh, hey, hey, buddy, that was just preaching the whole Bible to us. Come and have dinner with us. And when Jesus 
prayed over dinner, the Bible says that their eyes were opened and they recognized who he was. And then Jesus was taken from their sight. And they turn and they say to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us as he spoke? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As Jesus spoke, their hearts began to burn. I'd like to propose to you that that burning was happening in Bartimaeus's heart as he had heard the testimony of Jesus and then came into the presence of Jesus for the first time. Something began to burn within him. The words of Jesus and the testimony of Jesus is intended to produce a fire in you. You're not made to blend in as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not made to come into the house of God and just, you know, kind of time it and just be like, okay, uh, yeah, so uh, we sang those songs and then let's see, we'll give this sermon 27 minutes and uh, grab a cupcake. Game starts at one o'clock. But listen, you are made for more than just what I call Jesus a la mode. You're made for more than a little Jesus on the side. You're made to burn. You're designed to burn for him. The longer that we deal with an injustice, the longer that we deal maybe with an illness, the longer that we deal with a disappointment, the longer that we deal with the after effects of a disappointment, something that can't change this side of eternity and it keeps weighing heavily on us, the longer we allow that to weigh on us and affect us, what can happen is we can just settle in to a substandard of what is available and come in and out of the presence of Jesus just acting like normal. But listen, the Lord of the universe is in this room by his Holy Spirit and what happened in Bartimaeus ought to be what happens to the whole crowd. For me, I would, I would rather not preach on Bartimaeus, but preach on what was wrong with everybody else. Jesus steps into their neighborhood and everyone just acts calm. Jesus steps into their world. They come into the presence of the Lord and everyone's just kind of like, this is nice. Did, did you know that God in the flesh is just a few meters away? Excellent. I'm going to take some sermon notes. Grab a cupcake. <laughs> the fact is, listen, Bartimaeus' response is the right response. That when faith begins to stir, he moves he had a passion for Jesus and a sense of heavenly possibility that invaded his senses. And so when Bartimaeus heard it was Jesus, he did the only thing that he could do. Get this now. He's blind. None of the social uh, structure, none of the, none of the system that is there to assist as we know in our time, in that time, it would, you know, the best they would do is give you a cloak and a place where you could sit and beg. He was blind. What could he do? He couldn't run over to Jesus. He couldn't, you know, pass him a note. I mean, he could pass him a note in Braille and hope Jesus knew how to read it. He could have, he, he couldn't, you know, sneak up like the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter five. He couldn't s sneak up and just touch the hem of Jesus garment. He was blind. He did the only thing he could do. The only thing he could do was to cry out in faith and ask Jesus to have 
mercy on him. He had one option. He had one note on the piano, and he just like pounded that note. Bam, 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 bam. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus addresses Jesus by a messianic title. It's prophetically significant. Where did that come from? I'd like to suggest to you two things. Bartimaeus was trying to get Jesus' attention, and this was a work of the Holy Spirit in him. Why would I say it was a work of the Holy Spirit in Bartimaeus? Because when Jesus asked the disciples, at a separate time, it was just the 12 of them, he's like, hey, everybody, uh, who do people say that I am? And there's weird ideas out there. Some people think you're Jeremiah the prophet, and Jesus is like, he's dead, that's weird. Some think you're John the Baptist. Okay, is everyone into reincarnation around here? And then Jesus says, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, hey, Peter, you didn't figure that out. You didn't you know, get a good theology book. You, you didn't just kind of dedu you know, deduce this from your national, you know, natural reasoning. He said, my father in heaven revealed that to you that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'd like to propose to you that same prophetic revelation was sitting in Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. And so then what happens? The first part of verse 48, if you're looking in your Bibles, the first part of verse 48 is, is annoying and it's relatable. The Bible says that many people rebuked him and told him, to be quiet. That's so annoying. I mean, I mean, I think they're not responding appropriately to Jesus. And yet, when someone begins to respond with faith, they're like, whoa, 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 hold your horses, Bartimaeus. <laughs> You're making us look bad. You're out there worshiping. You know, when Pastor Andrew's talking about being at that conference last week and feeling the nudge of the Spirit, like, I should just get down on my knees. What's the battle going on inside? Well, I'm not trying to act more spiritual than everyone else. Why is that a battle inside? Because people think stupid stuff like that and say dumb stuff like that. Oh, excuse us. Here's the pastor from Niagara Falls getting down on his knees. Ooh, I'm so holy. <laughs> you want to know why? Because passion reveals apathy. Passion in one reveals the apathy in another. And Bartimaeus is crying out for his miracle. He's doing the only thing he knows to do. He, he's in the presence of Jesus and he doesn't want the moment to pass him. He senses, this is my moment. And as he begins to cry out, the crowd annoyingly says, keep it down, Bartimaeus. You're wrecking the vibe. You're interrupting the order of service. There isn't even a part in the service where yelling is okay. So maybe like get with the program. They're asking him to be quiet because naturally speaking, yelling is annoying. I, I have this friend that when he sneezes, I wish that he would give me a five second warning. <laughs> like I have a friend that when he sneezes, it doesn't even sound like a sneeze. It sounds like he just got shot. <laughs> I won't do it in the mic, but this is how he sneezes. <laughs> and I'm like, in my car? Like I want to open the door and turn sharp, you know? <laughs> oh, did you fall out? Okay, 
It's so annoying. Everyone's just enjoying the Jesus service. And Bartimaeus is like, son of David. You're like, oh. Cut it out. Jessica's getting to the second verse. Son of David. Have mercy. And they're, oh. Bartimaeus, um, not now. They were annoyed because it was loud and because it wasn't what they were doing. Sometimes we define what is normal by what is uniformity, by what everyone else is doing. If everyone's doing it, it's in order. You know, in a worship service, everyone has to be doing the same thing in order for it to be in order. Show me that biblically. <laughs> like when the apostle Paul is addressing worship in the Corinthian church, he's like, so how is it when you come together? Someone's got a psalm, hymn, spiritual song, someone else has got a prophetic word, word of knowledge, healing, all that stuff. He's not criticizing. He's like, this is the working of the Holy Spirit in a local church. You know, in the book of Psalms talks about all these different expressions of worship. And like, if we stand and clap, like as if clapping is all about keeping the beat. Like, I don't know if that's what the book of Psalms is talking about. Clap along. And we're like, oh, that guy thinks he's so holy because he's on his knees. Oh, excuse us. You're weeping and I'm just standing here. Pardon me while you wave your arms around the air. I can't. I can't. I have hypohydrosis. <laughs> and we make all these excuses. But the fact is, is if it's in the Bible, it's in order in a worship service. So I'm just going to respond to God and let my heart say yes. So the people get upset. Bart, you're not fitting in. Here's the deal. Bartimaeus wasn't fitting in with his life anyways. His... His physical condition cut him off from the regular involvement in the rest of the world, the way that that world especially was set up. And so he, he just, you know, he's crying out. They tell him to shush. The second part of verse 48 is actually powerful and instructive and super awesome. They tell him, be quiet. And it says, but he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. They're like, please be quiet. He's like, son of David. It's kind of, kind of loud, Barnabas. I haven't even warmed up yet. <laughs> son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus understood the key to seizing moments. If you're taking any kind of notes, I want you to write this down. I want, I want to teach you this morning about seizing your divine moment. Did you say I have till 5-2 or 5 after? 5-2. I have a minute. Ready? <laughs> Probably one of the greatest keys to operating in the anointing is knowing how to lay hold of your moment. The moment of faith. The moment of the burning heart. The moment of worship. In a word, the now. Everybody say now. In the original language that the scripture is written, in the original Greek, there's two words that talk about time. One word is kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, and the other is chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S. Chronos is where we get our words chronological or chronology. We, we, we use the, the chronos definition of time is it refers to a specific amount of time like a day or a week, or a year, that's a, that's, that fits in chronology. 
But kairos biblically means the appointed time in the purpose of God. It's the time when God acts. Kairos time is different than just chronology. It's different than just, oh, the service starts at 1030. But what happens within that hour and a half that we're together, we come into a moment of Kairos time where there's an invitation that possibilities in God are now available. It's Kairos. Measuring your moments by the passage of time is often how many people miss a divine moment or an appointment with God. You can miss a divine moment in God when you wait until the conviction passes. The Holy Spirit's working in your heart and you're like, oh, I don't want to be the guy who's kneeling. I don't want to be the person who goes to the front. I don't want to respond to conviction. Listen, deferred obedience to conviction is disobedience. Stifling the urgency of a response to the Spirit of God. Convincing yourself that you can deal with it later. The self-talk that you go through when conviction comes upon you under the anointed preaching of God's word. And there's a sense that God wants to do something in your heart. Maybe it's a moment of salvation. Maybe it's a moment of healing, a moment of faith. And you're like, oh, I don't want to draw attention to myself and I don't want to whatever. And I, I just, you know, I can just, I can deal with this later. I'll just go home and I'll have a little personal prayer time. Listen, there's, you don't get the luxury of pushing Kairos into your chronos and thinking that God's going to honor it. Bartimaeus could have given himself that kind of self-talk. You know, he could have just thought, wow, that's Jesus. I've heard all those testimonies and my heart's burning in me right now, but I wouldn't want to make it awkward for everyone else. And I wouldn't want my passion to make everyone else feel weird. And I wouldn't want to call attention to myself as a blind guy. What I'll do is I'll just wait until the service is over and slip Jesus a note. No, see, there was something about seizing that divine moment. I feel like God wants to call this house into a, an awareness of seizing your divine moment, the opportunity that God's bringing this way for right now. It's kind of like in a hockey game, you know, when, when the net is open and someone puts the puck right on your stick, it's not time to be like, oh, I'm going to pass it 17 more times. I don't know. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm a defenseman. I'm not really a sniper. So I don't know. I don't have that great of a shot. I don't know. Maybe I'll pass it to the ace fact is, when the moment is now and the net's wide open, that's when you take the shot. And going back to the bench because you didn't take the shot and saying, oh man, next time doesn't mean there'll necessarily be that next time. There's a window. Kairos. Seizing the moment. There's a window of faith that God's releasing. There's a window of faith that God's releasing over this house. And I believe that God wants to bring an awareness into this house about the moment of faith that's coming right now. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.